hit what is the last letter to the seven churches. This being the church of Laodicea. See in the title, it's the lukewarm church. And we... One thing I forgot to show, I forgot to tell. It is the outline. And guess what it did? Okay, now I've got to go all the way down. I know it's more complicated. There's probably a better way of doing this. I don't know, but as soon as you get in that theater mode, you know what it does? It does this. And so I have to go all the way back to the beginning. So, anyway... I just remembered that. Okay, anyway, this church of Laodicea, which is the lukewarm church, this is not a good term at all. Matter of fact, it might be the worst term of all the churches that we have seen. Um, Really, it's kind of representing the church just before Christ comes back. This would be, if you were looking down through the ages and you see each church in some way, you'll see some commentators say, I'm not even pressing it, but I'm saying it is interesting that certain ages, a church of the seven churches, would represent that age. Going all the way up to this time, this being the last church, this would be the last church before the return of Christ. What kind of condition is the church in? If this is the case we would go, that's interesting how that fits, because yes, that could be true. But it also represents different churches throughout all the different ages. Or different believers, individuals, have certain ideas of what some of these churches would be as representing themselves. Uh, It's a compromising church. We've already seen that before, but a much compromising church Five of the churches that we look at out of the seven are considered to have some troubling issues. This being one here today. Very troubling. There are two churches out of the seven that do not get any condemnations. Sardis, or not Sardis, but Smyrna and Philadelphia. We looked at Philadelphia the last time we met on these churches a couple of weeks ago. So we get now to a lukewarm church, an unbelieving, useless church for really the most part. Sardis was the dead church. Before that you had uh, Pergamos, which was a compromising church, and then Thyatira, actually Pergamos, just tolerated sin, just let it be. But you saw that develop into Thyatira as really a compromising church. And now we have one who is a dead church that we looked at uh, before, previously. And now one who gets no commendations at all. And the amazing thing about this church is that it's a proud church and it's unconverted. And so it's blind. It is dead and worse than dead. It thought it was alive and is not at all. And that's what we'll be looking at today at this church. Let's hear what the Lord says to this church. Let's read it. And uh, we're closing out chapter 3. And the section in Israel, there are, in Revelation, there are three parts to the outline. We've covered two parts, so we're about near the end of Revelation, aren't we? No? I guess not. We have a lot of chapters to go. Anyway, it was like what once was, what is now, which is the churches, chapters 2 and 3, and then we'll be going into chapter 4. Here's the close of what is now at that time. Definitely it's written to these specific churches and their problems for the most part. So we pick it up at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see, that we can see what you are saying to this church here that is represented and representing churches of all time, people of all time. And we see what you think of lukewarm. We will realize that lukewarm means nothing, having nothing. They must see that. They were blind. They were deaf. Open up our ears, open up our eyes to see your word today to help us grow in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we uh, close this section out now and he starts off with the same thing that he's done with the other six churches to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Write this. The angel again, be the messengers. We go to the city of Laodicea, what kind of a city was this? Let's take us back in a little bit of history. I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot on it. I've done that several times on certain churches. Uh, we look at them. What's, what's the deal about them? Well, the, actually, the meaning of Laodicea literally means the people ruling or the rights of the people. Interesting, that definitely transferred to the church and they all had their own rights and they followed thereof what was really what it was about till eventually that democracy in the church making up their own rules became almost like an anarchy in a sense. It was a center for the textile industry. Very wealthy city. Banking was its forte. So they were very well off. Of all the churches that we've looked at, there were some very poor churches, if you remember, this city and this church is rich. A lot of money. Very influential in the area where they were from. Banking, textile industry, other things. In 60 AD, they had an earthquake. Historically, that's recognized. When that happened, it tore apart that city. It leveled it. Earthquake did major damage. Usually when that happens, you get help from the government. In this case, it would be from Rome. Rome was going to help them. And they said, no, we can do it ourselves. They did. Do you know of any cities that would say that? <laughs> Give us money. We need help, right? They say, no, we're okay. We're good. We'll do it ourselves. You see, they're very self-sufficient. Sounds good. I like that. But the problem is, that's the attitude that carried over into the church. We're good. We're self-sufficient. We don't need anyone. We don't need any help. We'll do it ourselves. They were very well off, you see. They were uh, thought they were influential. They thought that they were awake and alive. But yet they were in a spiritual slumber. The city was, church was, self-satisfaction. Uh, you can look at the spiritual significance here, and of course in all the churches we do that, but Laodicea in one sense, the city represented the church of Laodicea. So what you see in that city with the self-sufficiency, 
is also in the church. They're not in any need of anything. If you're in Christ, that be true. The problem was they were not in Christ. They were a false, well, they were a fake church thinking they were really a real church. They were really counterfeit in that sense. Uh, Also in the area of Laodicea was the Lyceum Valley, or the Lycus Valley. There were three cities that were located in that area, just a few miles from each other, one of them being Laodicea. Another was Colossae. Does that sound familiar? The letter to the Colossians. They were actually close to there, and also Hierapolis. Well, Colossae and Hierapolis are going to tie into this, and we'll we'll tell you in a moment what their importance was and why um, Laodicea needed what they had, and uh, they were lacking. Anyway, in Colossians 1.7, it indicates that Epaphras was the one who brought the gospel to the Colossian church. Being just a few miles away, it was probably Epaphras who took the gospel to this city of Laodicea. And the church was started there. That's probably the idea. Uh, In Colossians 4.16, Paul wrote a letter. We're still talking about Laodicea. Well, why are we looking at Colossians? Well, Paul would write letters to certain churches and then their letters then would go to other churches. They were called circular letters. The epistles that we know, epistle means letter. Okay, So these epistles would go to certain churches and they in turn then would give it to the, the next church, the next town after that. And they would read it. And that's how the gospel got spread to little local churches and got started in Colossians chapter 4, I think it's verse 12. Remember I was talking about Epaphras from chapter 1. He was a student of Paul, and then he takes from Colossae now over to this Laodicea. Epaphras, who is one of your number, one of your Colossians, uh, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Well, I haven't seen Laodicea yet. Keep reading. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. They're like little sister cities six, eight miles apart from each other, they know each other well. And so it is around here. We think of Wardsville and Taos and Osage City and Westphalia and, and Lynn and St. Martin's and Holt Summit. It's, it's just like that, you know, really close. And, and so therefore, he says, Epaphras is praying for you and he has great concern uh, for not only Colossians, but Laodicea because he probably knew the route that they were taking. Anyway, that's, that's the idea. Laodicea is mentioned again in verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. Also Nympha and the church that is in her house. So the church was in a house, and all the churches were basically in houses wherever you went. They didn't have the buildings that we would think of that you know we have today. Just homes. And it was started and even mentions a person there, Nympha. So we know somebody that is from Laodicea. There's not a letter outside of the letter that we have in Revelation to Laodicea, but it is mentioned. And so therefore, there is a concern about that church as there should be a concern about any church. Um, Anyway, we have that idea of what's going in the city, in the church. Uh, The Muslims later destroyed the city of Laodicea. Laodicea had been rebuilt from the earthquake. Hundreds of years later, here come the Muslims, and they do what they do best. They destroy things. They're destroyers. That's what they've done. I know I'm mentioning that, and somebody would say, well, this is not tied in with the Scripture. Why are you mentioning that? Well, the reason is, is because we want to tell truth. The Muslim world plays a major key in the world now and in the world to come. And so we can and we can see historically what they have done. This is what they do. They don't know Christ. Their religion is demonic. 
And so, but the people are lost in there. We would love to see many of them become Christians, wouldn't we? And that's the whole idea. Regardless of what religion they are, we want to see people know the Lord, whether they have a religion or not. The thing is, they need, they need Christ, don't they? Well, you know what? Their lampstand basically really was removed. The city got destroyed. It was ransacked. It was left in ruins, a mass of ruins. And you see the pictures there in a lot of these cities that we look at. We just see ruins. And sometimes the Muslims have a lot to do with that, just destroying them. It's amazing they even left the columns up in some of the buildings. But a fascinating place it was. Uh, you know, the lampstand has to be taken. And in most of these, that's what happened. That means the church was taken out. It's no longer a witness. It's gone. That's what happened. You know what? We look at Laodicea, we see a picture of a church in an affluent society. church today in the Western world, especially in America, is in an affluent society, has been for hundreds of years. Could I say, therefore, that I don't think there's any other church that is as relevant to us in our age as this church in Laodicea. Because, sad to say, this is the picture of what it is all across the world. Churches dead, compromising, unbelieving, unconverted if they do exist. And so here we are, we look at this and we go, what happened? And I can say within the last hundred years, the Word of God became less and less. It became minimal. And then it became really nothing. People laugh at people who say the God that God gave us inspired revelation and every word is true. And people have churches and I don't know what they do without reading Scripture and teaching it. What in the world are they doing? Why do they even meet? Because they don't even believe that Jesus is God. If you don't have those elements, why bother? But they want to be good. And they're good on their own. I know your works. Your works are nothing. Because they are your own. So there's the first part about the city. The address to the angel of the church. And the, here we have now what is part two. That we've seen all throughout the characteristics of Christ. I like these outlines all the way through because I don't have to make a lot of changes. Just the name and the place and some of the things they did, but it's basically the raw outline all the way through. They don't have any commendations here, just condemnation. The Amen. So who's speaking? The Amen. The faithful and true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. Who is that? Christ. That is, He is the one who's speaking to the church here. The Amen. What's the deal with Amen? We were even saying those after our songs this morning. It means truly, truly. Or how often do you see it where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's saying, Truthfully, truthfully, I say to you. This is of utmost importance. This is truth. Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to me or comes to the Father but through me. It means, so let it be. It means, uh, Amen, true. So be it. Truthfully. That's what we, we put on at the end of our prayers. Let it be true. What we just pray about. He is the God of Amen. Look at Isaiah 65.16. Even in the Old Testament, they used the word Amen. And in your translation, it may not read exactly that way, but we'll explain that. You might have a translation that does read that way. But it says, because he, 65.16, who is blessed in the earth, will be blessed by the God of truth, or the God of Amen. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of 
truth. Amen. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my sight. The God of truth. Blessed be the Messiah. Blessed be Christ. He is the God of truth. He is deity. He is God. He is truth. Everything we read in here, you can believe. Do you know of any other book that you can trust wholeheartedly in everything it says? No, because it's written by man. It can be really good and really accurate in most places, but somewhere there's probably going to be some something that is not exactly true. But you can trust this. You can trust this Word. It's His final Word is what He's saying. He is the God of Amen. He's the very God, the true God. Jesus Christ is God's final Word. He is the period. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are people of truth. That being Christ. There's nothing more to say after Him. Look in 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is really a cool promise to us. I love this. I love this verse right here. Uh, 1.20 For as many as are the promise of, uh, promises of God in Him, in Christ, they are yes. Do you know what that's saying? All of His promises are yes and amen. amen. Have you heard that before? Yes and amen. Therefore also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. So, there is the idea. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. The Amen is speaking to this church. And He's emphasizing truth here. He's saying, you are living on lies. You think you're good, but you're not. You think you are this way, but you are not. I am truth. You are deceived. And that's why He gives these names here. That would be one reason anyway. The Amen. What's the next one? Faithful and true witness. It goes right along with Amen, doesn't it? Faithful and true. Uh, like I say, the church is living a lie. They are self Deceived, They deceive themselves and they like it. And he says, look up to me. Look at the one who's always been faithful. We sang a song this morning called what? Faithful One. We sang a song about grace, didn't we? God of grace. Those are attributes. And you know what? If you walk out of here and say, what was that sermon about, Dennis? I can't remember anything about it. And he said, oh, I remember one thing. We sang a song called God of Grace. One, you know, what's that mean? God of Grace, or a faithful one. Think of the attributes of God. As you're riding along in your car and you don't have anything to be thinking about, you know, and then all of a sudden you start thinking about the attributes of God. How great He is. That's what all of this is about. This is why we even meet. You know what our motto is here in this church? Have a high view of God. If I can't get anything else across, that is one you want to stick in your mind. A high view of God. It starts with who? God. Not me? No. It's a high view of God. And a high view of Scriptures. If you have that, folks, you've got the pathway to walk. You're on it. Be settled. Be at peace. You're heading the right way. Simple as that? Yeah, it is. But it's not so simple, is it? <laughs> anyway, He's faithful. He's true. Look to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then He's the beginning of creation. We live in a world where I would say most people don't believe in a six-day literal creation where God created. He spoke and it came into being just like that in full form. That's what He did. That's what the Bible says. I believe it. I don't have a trouble at all. Matter of fact, any other way I would have a lot of trouble with. If it takes millions of years, that means really what were we really created from. And that's where it gets to not only it's God, not really, no, it's really some kind of what? Floating plasma, just what? What is it out there? It's nothing. It has no intelligence. You see... There's a cause. You want to dress an evolutionist? Start with cause. 
Everything you see has a cause. There's nothing that you can see or talk about without it having a cause. Us. We had a cause. So I said, yeah, it was my parents. Keep going back further. You have to get to some... A cause has to have intelligence because there is design in the greatest of all creation, man. God did that in the way that He wanted, in His very image. So, two words that I stress. C and D. Cause. For, and scientifically, this is why there has to be creation. There's a cause for everything. What does science say? For every effect, there is a cause. That's science. We're talking science here. Science is really simply knowledge. It's God's knowledge. And then the other word is design. Look at it. Anything that is made, you look at a chair, it was designed. There's not too many pieces to a chair, but when you start looking at all the molecules, it's pretty incredible. And you look at a human being, and it dazzles you, doesn't it? There's a cause, and there's a design. And they say, yeah, but I believe what science says, that we all have evolved. No, you're not paying attention to science at all. Because it says there's a cause and a design. Well, He's the first cause. Every work of God begins with Him spiritually and materially. Do you know what? In the book of Colossians. And why do I press Colossians today? It's real close to Laodicea. Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. Colossians 1. You're going to get just a little bit of extra here today. It might cost you a couple of minutes on the clock. But this is good. In verse 15 of Colossians 1, it says, He is the image, the icon. He's talking about Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. Christ became visible. God became visible through the person of Christ. The firstborn of all creation. And all all right, boy, the cults jump on that and see, He didn't really create. The firstborn of all creation. They love that. The cults love this. Because they say, see, he was, he was created because He's the first one born and then everybody else is. So they acknowledge that Christ is here, but He was firstborn. Which means He didn't really create, did He? He's the firstborn. Well, really that word there is preeminent. You look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's prototokos, and it means, you know, pro is like preeminent. Prototokos. The firstborn or the very preeminent one. He is the very heir of it all. He's first. It doesn't mean he's in line of order. He was created and then all the rest were. That's not what it's saying because we'll read the rest of it. And so the cults, when they read that, they take it right out of context. They don't read the rest of it. What does the rest of it say? For by him all things were created. Did he create himself? And if he did, how in the world does that happen? Both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I guess that's everything, isn't it? All things, he says again, have been created through Him and for Him. By Him. Paul really tells it to the Colossians. I have to wonder if there was somebody challenging them at that time about the deity of Christ. Is this why he would say that he's the beginning of the creation? It's saying that he was not a created being. Right? If he was the creator of all things, then he himself was not a created being. And you had the Arians, the Arian heresy that came along early in the church that said Jesus is not divine, he is not God. Well, it was proven by Athanasius and others who had to stand for it. Otherwise, who knows what would have been lost in scriptural truth. Because the whole world was starting to take, the whole church was starting to take up the idea of uh, or the Arian heresy. 
And he, Athanasius was, was said to stand up against the world. And he did. And they had a church council and it finally proved that Jesus is God. Something so simple, but it always tries to get lost. Look at all the cults. Jesus is not really the one true God. They will never call Him God. Christians are the only one that call Jesus God. Muslims believe in Jesus, but they don't believe He's God. He's not their Savior. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is saying that He's the prime source of all of God's creation. It all came from Him. And then it goes on in Colossians and says He's the head of the church. He's the head of this. No pastor is the head of the church. No great leaders of the church are the head. Never have been, never will. Christ is. Let's move on to the next one here. This one is where it condemns this church. Usually God is very gracious and He gives the commendation. There are a few things I want to say that are good about you. He has nothing good to say. He goes right to it what their problem is, and it's severe, folks. I know your deeds. That you're neither hot or neither cold nor hot. What we have here is that cold means frozen. It means chilled. More than just cool. It's very cold. You're neither that you're neither you're not burning. The word hot means a burning passion, which is really what we all want to be. Do you have a passion for Christ? That's where you want to be. You don't want to be down on the other end cold. And we'll tell you, and we'll show you what cold really is. You see, He would rather have wished them, though, to be cold or frozen than for them to be lukewarm. And he said, wouldn't it be better to lukewarm than to be frozen? No, because you see, there's a lot of people who are lukewarm. There are people who go to church, identify with church. There are people who would uh, say they're Christians. There are people who grew up in the church, maybe. And, you know, they're under a protecting covering of religiosity. But you get to find out what they really believe in and they don't even know if they believe in the deity of Christ. Well, I wouldn't say that that means it for all people. You know, there are other people who believe other things. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thought that they would have. and They may not believe in hell, may not believe in heaven, but yet they go to church and say they're Christians and they're going to heaven, but they don't believe in heaven. <laughs> okay, how do you deal with that? Yeah, they don't believe in sin. Uh, I wish, if you're not hot, if you're not hot, then I would like for you to at least be cold. Because then you might be susceptible to the work of the Holy Spirit. The ones who are in the most dangerous position are the ones who grew up in the church, have heard a lot of truths, but yet they really are not trusting in Christ. Being justified by faith, they do not repent. But the ones who are really cold actually might have a better chance because then sometime they might see the condition that they are in. The other ones are self-deceived. And that's probably a key word that we're speaking about today. This church in Laodicea is under self-deception. They think they're really good. Now speaking about Colossae and Hierapolis while ago, here's where this kind of comes into play. Uh, I might be over-reading into it, but I think it's helpful. Hierapolis was a city that had, uh, it was about six miles away from um, this church that we're talking today about Laodicea. And it had these springs, if you look at that top picture over there, that is really uh, very uh, beautiful. 
a lot of pictures. I could have just put them there all over the place and got, had close-ups and such. But that's a beautiful place. People go there to see the beauty of it. The hot springs. You know, people love to go to hot springs. You know, the healthiness of it. Well, that's what flowed over a broad plateau from this city called Hierapolis. So it flows towards the direction of Laodicea. And it stops short of Laodicea and it goes over a cliff and then the waters tumble over this cliff and there's chemicals in this. Kind of like what the Dead Sea is. There are all sorts of chemicals that were in the waters and they left this white encrustation. You can see it right there. There are cliffs all over the place. That's what the chemicals do. And so it, that's what this place had is calcium carbonate on the cliffs that they have. You could see those cliffs. And if you were from Laodicea, you could see that and everything. But that water really didn't do them any good. What if you uh, wanted to uh, drink it? Well, I'll tell you what. People who did, put a little water in the mouth from that. First thing you did was spit it out. <laughs> Ooh, that is horrible. But it looks so good, doesn't it? Well, that's Hierapolis. That would be what, you know, you think of, of, of something hot, but it's, this particular hot is useless. So that analogy kind of breaks down, but it's kind of interesting to see the water come there, coming from uh, areas where Laodicea really didn't have a water source. They were a city without water. They needed to depend upon somebody. There was the uh, city of Colossae. We've already spoke about that just a few miles away. They have this beautiful, I guess you could say, uh, collection of streams that come out of Colossae. And this is pure water and it's cold because it comes from the mountains. And So what a source of water. And you can say, ah, that is where Laodicea got their water. Well, kind of. They had to pipe it. They had it underground. And yet, by the time it got there, through their piping of it, 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 it was definitely refreshing in Colossae. Laodicea doesn't have that water, and so it goes in this underground pipe, and by the time it really gets to uh, this city here of Laodicea, it's kind of tepid. It's not the best. It's not that real cold. You know, it's really a lukewarm water. Uh, what is good about lukewarm water? Well, not much. I'm sure all of you, before you go to bed, love to have a nice drink, a whole glass, 16 ounces of lukewarm water. I bet you every one of you do that, don't you? No, actually, it's, it's kind of like a emetic, I think they call it, right? That, you know what that one is? That means it's an inducer for vomiting. And so, whenever he says, because you're lukewarm and rather not hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Are we getting the idea here? They made the Lord sick. We've seen the pictures of this. How far it goes to that, I don't know. But it's just kind of interesting what is happening there. He's saying, you have no purpose. You just make me sick. That was the idea. They, you know, they really are lukewarm. They're they're tepid. Uh, problem is, the church today, at least in the West, and really, it's characterized by a Laodicean spirit. Has the same spirit. It's the rule and reign of the peoples. Whatever we think best. Who cares what that Bible says? I'm going to do what I think is good and best. And all oh, that always runs into all sorts of troubles, doesn't it? We know that in the book of Judges, what did they do? They did what was right in their own eyes. Well, I think this is right. Okay, that's good for you. I think this is right. They're both contradictory to Scripture. But this is what I feel. So therefore, it must be right. That's the world, isn't it? That's the world. The rights of the people alone, right? And, and what happens? 
is they, they make their own thinking the compass for what is true and what is right. If you're not into the Word of God, guess what your compass is? Your own thinking. And all of a sudden you start forgetting what is really truth in the Word and you start saying, well, this must be right. And it's actually upside down from what God says. So that's probably what is happening here in this particular church we're reading about. Christianity today is kind of a bit of a hobby. It's not at the forefront of people's minds. It's okay. You know, church is okay as long as it doesn't get in my way. I have things that are probably a little more important. Now, they won't tell you this, but, you know, my my family is the most important thing. Well, that's very important. It's right near the top. Is it? Family's great. Um... What I like to do, hobbies, really good. What I like to watch, what I like to see, those kind of things. What I like to hear, those things are right near the top. Matter of fact, they might be number one. But, honestly, this church here, this lukewarm church, had people in it where it was a weekend kind of a thing. It was a Christianity of convenience. Long as it doesn't inconvenience me. If it is inconvenient, if it's something that I can take or leave, i got something else to replace it. I'll take the other thing. Do we as Christians really have that option? How important is Christ and the church, right? It is at the top. Nothing else can exceed it. Is the church, is Christ an all-consuming passion? Are we hot? We should be. That means to have passion for Christ. The church worldwide went asleep. For decades, it's been asleep for the most part. Is that to say, well, there's not been anybody doing anything? I'm not saying that at all because there surely has been. All sorts of great ministries going on, but as a whole, the church is asleep. What happened in our generation? What happened to where we have finally gotten to where we are on the verge of collapse of socialism taking completely over? How did we ever get there? Never in my days when I was taught in school should that ever happen. I was taught that that was evil and wicked. How is it that it's gotten into our schools that socialism is the greatest thing and the greatest and the only kind of government that should be ran? Where there is no capitalism. It's gone into the colleges and that's where we bear fruit of the wickedness and the type of thinking that comes out of there. Uh, you go on and you see it in the government, you see it in the corporations, you see it in the, um, the high-tech world. It's everywhere. What happened? And I say, ultimately, judgment starts with the household of God. Where did it start in Revelation here? Chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4 through 19. 20. Is what? Judgment. Upon the world. Where does judgment start? Household of God, the church. Then it goes to the world. Do you see how revelation is set up? Here is a judgment on the church. The church has not been the salt and the light for decades. Even decades before I was born. But at least there was some semblance. Today the church is not making the impact that it really needs. There are spots here and there that are making an impact. Those are the ones that have remained true to God's Word. Forbid that we as a church ever get away from God's Word and living it. Matter of fact, to a lot of people, Christianity is really just kind of like a tag-on to their career. They use it for selling insurance. They use it in their political realm. Whatever it is, it makes them look good. And they'll show their families and they're holding them, you know, the little kids. And they're showing on their way to church. Even that today shows that they're still family-oriented. And most of the community uh, of, of this state, America 
would say that that's a good thing, but I'm not sure anymore. Well, here is their problem. Now we're ready to fly. You ready to go? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and you have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow! How would you have liked to have been in that church when somebody stood up and read it that day? I think that there were a lot of people, probably the whole church, got angry. I think they got mad at, first of all, the one who's reading it. He's just reading it. And then where it came from, which happens to be the Apostle John. Ultimately, who are they really angry at? The one who's speaking. The faithful and true. The Amen. The creation of God. Creator. I wonder what they did with that speaker that day. <laughs> Would they have liked to have gotten hold of that scroll and burn it up? Well, this is really ripping in to them. They're completely self-deceived. They're just riding along. Everything is going good. We can prove it. Look at us. We have all sorts of money. We are rich. We are wealthy. We have all sorts of ministries. We do this. We do that. I know your deeds. They're absolutely filthy. It's horrible. I know your deeds. They're completely self-deceived, thinking they were good deeds. They became like the city. Like Laodicea was. Self-deceived. They didn't need any help. They were smug. They in the church were self-sufficient, self-satisfied, self-righteous. That's the church. And God's Word comes blistering in. Nothing good to say. You've become like the city. And mark the difference now between this church and the other churches. Amazing. You'd say, boy, they must have had the synagogue of Satan there. Remember in some of the churches we saw the synagogue of, of Satan? We saw the throne of Satan mentioned more than one occasion. They didn't have any mention of that. They didn't have any mention of having adversaries. Remember the persecuted church? Smyrna? And, and the poor churches? Well, they didn't... I don't even know about false doctrine. Some of the other churches had false doctrine coming in. But that's not even mentioned. How about the doctrine of Balaam? That's been mentioned in the other churches. Got here. It's not mentioned. Probably didn't have that. How about the Nicolaitans? They didn't even have that. How about Jezebel kind of teaching? Thyatira, right? They didn't have that. It was a church that looked like it was blessed tremendously because outwardly it looked pristine. Looked beautiful in the way that they had going and they were blessed with material goods. Jesus says, I know who you are. You're not rich. It says, I advise you. Now, in 17, you say I'm rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. You don't know that you are wretched. What's the word for wretched here? In Romans 7, it says a wretch. We're called wretches. Before Christ, that's what we are. And until you see that you're a wretch and you need Christ, you'll stay right in there as a wretch and think you're doing great. Hey, everything's okay. I don't need anything. I don't need Christ. But you're a wretch. And that means carrying a burden. Literally. You know what their burden was? Well, their burden wasn't their debt. Their burden was their wealth. Oh, they had the most wealth of all the cities that we have looked at. Wow. He says, you're miserable. 
He calls them a wretch. He calls them miserable. Wow, how would you like that if somebody came into your church and started reading that to you and knowing it's coming from God? Oh, this means an object of pity. He's nauseated. The taste of what they're about. You make me sick is what Jesus is saying. He says you are poor. But they say they're wealthy. He says, no, you're destitute. You are poor. You think you're blessed by God because you have this, 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 and this. See, that's how some people uh, measure how good of a Christian are because God blesses you and He always gives you good material things. So therefore, that all comes from God. If you happen to be poor like other churches and under tribulation, you must be doing something wrong. That theology is not biblical. Not at all. Smyrna chapter 2 verse 9 says, I know your works and your tribulation and poverty and your destitution, but you are what? Rich. Here it's flip-flopped. Wow. Laodicea was rich materially. They had the poverty of riches... They were poor spiritually. They were bankrupt. He calls them blind next. They thought they had great vision. They're actually blind. You don't know where you're going. Samson became blind. Remember him? Do you remember the last king? Zedekiah? His eyes were put out. He was blind. Now we happen to be in this church age... This is the last church. Could this church, the body of Christ throughout all the world, as a whole, be blind? Then he says, you are naked. They don't have anything on. They look at themselves and they are just wearing the most beautiful clothes. Materially they are. How about spiritually? You uh, remember the emperor's new clothes? Any of you heard of Hans Christian Andersen? Say, tell me about it. Well, they thought they were well attired, well clothed, and actually they were starkers. Or better yet, streakers. And they didn't know it. They thought they had their clothes on before the king. <laughs> and they didn't have anything on. And they thought they were wearing clothes. Right? Materialism, folks, it can really be deceiving. It's a picture of the age we live in. You're talking about luxury living. You're talking about luxury living abounding. And we're in a part of it. Is that absolutely wrong? No, not at all. And we can say, thank you, God. Thank you for this. But if, if things weren't going well, it is well with our souls, right? Either way. There are souls that are out there that are dying for the Gospel. We wear crowns here in America. But we don't bear the cross. There's a little sense, very little sense of spiritual need in the church worldwide. There's little longing for true revival. People cater to their bodies, spend most of their time working out, running. I have nothing against that but they put it high up and they'll miss church if they need to go out and take a run. A few short years, our bodies will return to dust. We accumulate, instead of forsake, we lay up treasures on earth rather than in heaven. The general attitude is this, nothing too good for the people of God. If I don't pamper myself, well, who will? Let's get ahead in the world and let's give our spare change to the Lord whenever it's convenient. Wow. It's been said that this is the condition on the eve of Christ's return. He just gave the truth, didn't He? Truth hurts. Here's the thing. The truth is designed to make the hopeless hopeful. 
The Lord gives them a prescription for their condition. Here's how you get well. I counsel you to buy of me. Look at this. So this is something. I don't understand this. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Buy? You mean we can buy heaven, the kingdom of God? Okay, I got I got a few quarters here. Can I buy that? I'll throw it in the offering here. <laughs> Will that get me into heaven? That's not what he's saying. It's a strange expression, isn't it? You're using it's the grain of grace. Grace is free. We don't do anything. Faith is grace, repentance, it's all granted to us. It's all free. Isaiah 55 1. Isaiah 55 1. That's another strange one there. You've probably read it or heard about it. Maybe you haven't. I think it's really a weird one. But it's not. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. You buy it? Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There it goes without money, without cost. It means give yourselves. It's an exchange. The Lord is speaking of an exchange. Give Him whatever is useless. And He will give you in exchange for this, the wealth of gold that has been tried in the fire. Pure gold. I like it. So, look at that. That's value there, isn't it? The next one is vestments. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. They are rich. No, they're not. They're poor. He says, so that you may become rich. Gold is is faith that comes from God. And white garments. There's their vestment. Value, vestment, so that you may clothe yourself. Remember, they are naked, he said. So this means Laodicea here really was famous for garments. Remember textile industry? Did you know what they were famous for? Black wool. How unusual. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. They went around in their black wool garments. He says, you trade your black for white and repent. Righteous acts of the saints is what the white garments is about, isn't it? Put on your robes of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So gold, white garments, and the, uh, and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Remember he said they were blind? Now, so we've seen the vestments, the values, the vestments, and now vision. Three V words there. So they could see. Well, they had eyes. They had great eyes. Because they, you see, they manufactured salve there. Isn't that ironic? What does Jesus say? Because uh, I salve can be anointed that it would make their eyesight clear. What's happening here is that they were world famous for this and they put it in a tablet form. It would be sold everywhere. They grind that tablet down into powder and then they would apply that to their eyes. A salve. They needed their eyes to be opened. And that's their vision. So their values, gold. Their vestments, white garments. Righteous acts from Christ. And then vision. A true vision of what Christ is all about. Seeing Him. They needed to see Jesus Christ for who He is. Do you remember chapter 1? Do you remember the first verse that we read in here? The Amen, the faithful and true, the beginning of the creation. They needed to see Jesus in that way. Look at every one of these churches and He says, look at me this way. You get a picture of Christ. Those pictures that people hang on the walls, they have no clue. Those probably don't look like Jesus. Jesus was not blonde haired and blue eyed. We all know that, right? Whatever thing is, here is a picture of Christ. 
And so he says, what does he say? 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. In case there happen to be any Christians at all, he does love people that are not believers as he will call them to him. He says, therefore be zealous, be passionate, go after me with faith. If you've seen what I've told you, you want that gold, you want those garments, you want that vision, I'm knocking. It's all there. Be zealous and repent. Repentance comes from God to to turn another way. And he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and he will dine with him and, and will dine with him and he will dine with me. Everybody have seen that picture, you know, Christ knocking at a heart's door and people say, I opened up the door to let Christ in. I have that heart that is gold. And now I choose to let God come into my heart. No, you see, we are all regenerated because our heart is dead. He opens up the heart. But He does give an invitation for all those who are His and desire to follow after Him are His. And they open, the door is then opened. Christ walks in. And so therefore, we see the idea of entering in that door. Christ is there to sup with us. What a promise. It means to recognize your sins. Did you see that he pointed out their sins specifically? To recognize it and to realize that we're spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing there. See, they thought they were wealthy. They owned banks. And he says, you're bankrupt. Repent and believe. Trust in Me. You see, supper was the major meal at that time. Breakfast was little. They'd have a piece of bread. Lunchtime, a little bitty meal, not much. It's all scratch meals. But that main meal of the day, that was important time. They would have friends gather and they'd get around and eat supper. And He says... I will come in and dine with you. That's great fellowship first with Him, isn't it? Don't you desire to fellowship with Christ? Well, you're in fellowship with Him if you're a believer. But realize that it's the consummation of the coming kingdom where we will see that great supper in heaven. Don't you long for that day? But even today, you sup with Him if you are His, don't you? Isn't that a beautiful saying? We've got to close this up, people. Last verse. He who overcomes. Remember in every one of this? If you overcome, which means if you have faith, your faith makes you you know, one right with the Lord. I will grant to Him, I will give to Him, I'll grace to Him to sit down with me on my throne. Are you blown away by this? The Father gave Him access to the throne, all the authority and all the privilege. And He says to all of you who have your garments on, you see clearly, you have access to God. You will be on the throne with Me, with all the privileges and with all the authority. Any believer will have that. Every believer will have that. I also overcame the cross, death, burial, resurrection. It's Christ. Sat down with His Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let Him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we've been given a message for all of them. It closes out here. What a promise that we just saw. See how you did it? Did you see how sinful they were? Lukewarm doesn't sound bad. It doesn't look bad. But if one remains in that condition, he will spew them out of of his mouth to show that they are not real.
We as Christians have a fellowship and we dine with Him. Look at the privileges. What an invitation that is given. He is gracious, even given the worst judgments. Do you see a gracious God there? That's what we close off with today. It was rather irritating to read some of those words. But yet, you see here, that's what He did to us. He came in and stabbed us with the Word of God and took that sword in and just started cleaning that junk out. He continues to do it. And we say, Amen. Get it out, because I want to glorify God. Keep doing it. He's got a work to do. None of us here are worthy except in Christ. And that's what the thought is here. And we'll be put on the throne in the kingdom of God. Do you say amen to that? Truly, truly. Dear Heavenly Father, what a passage. And we know that anybody could be in that situation. It certainly is the lost. But even Christians can get lukewarm and not be hot, not be passionate for You. And Lord, help us be passionate because we do not want to be resembling a lukewarm church, lukewarm individuals. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be a dead church, compromising church. We want to be a church like Philadelphia or Smyrna. Help us to be that way as You have placed us here in this time. For such a time as this, what a privilege it is, Lord, to be Your light, to be Your salt. Help us to be strong. Help us to stay healthy in Your Word, in Your truth, by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.